Hi, welcome to Matinee Screening. My name is John Moschini. I'm Joel Leonard. And this week, we're going to talk about Oscar movies. Oscar movies, well, Oscars were a big thing about two months ago, but we figured why not go ahead and talk about them now. So we're going to look back on the Oscar movies Joel and I have seen over the years. And as you look back on it, at least for me, I don't know what it was like for you, but I hadn't seen nearly as many Best Picture winners as I thought I would have. And that's mainly because, you know, you think about these great movies from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, but not a lot of them won Best Picture. Yeah. The Best Picture winners didn't really sort of live on and became timeless in the way some of the other ones did. So No, that's, um, that's the thing. I've seen less than half of them. Oh, I have too. And, uh, and some of that is because some of them just aren't available, like we were talking about earlier. Um, Sunrise Wings, the first one that won in 1929, isn't available except unless you have a private screening of it. Yeah. So. Um, but, yeah, I think part of it is just because because the Oscars were every year, or are every year, and so, you know, yeah, some of these don't go on to great grandeur and, you know, long-term fame. Some of them do, obviously, but some of them I have barely heard of. I've heard of all of them, but, you know, are definitely not constantly playing on Turner Classic or, you know, have any really high-profile people in it anymore. So, Like, yeah, I was looking back through, like, the 1940s and the 1950s just in preparation for this, and stuff like, you know, Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life and, and movies like that were all nominated for Oscars, but none of them ever won. So if you think about, like, a great movie from that time period, chances are it was nominated for the Oscar. It just probably didn't win it. Right. So um, we're going like, to get started, and we go back as far as Gone with the Wind. So how many... Let me see. Gone with the many. Wind was 1939. So we missed the first 10 years. Yeah. So sorry to any 1930s <laughs> film fans out there. So, um, yeah, I saw Gone with the Wind. And the thing is, so obviously, even if you haven't seen Gone with the Wind, you know how it ends. You know the Frankly My Dear line. You know, everybody has seen that final scene because it plays on all the, like, you know, montages. And every time people talk about great film moments, this this one comes up. Uh, so I'd known this scene for a long, long, long time before I ever saw the movie. And that is to the detriment of the movie because the movie is very, very, very long. And there are several points in this movie where it feels like it's coming up to that. You know, the two main characters, they start getting in a fight. And I'm like, oh, oh, here it comes. They're about to they're about to break up forever. And then they have they make up. They have a child. They get a horse and just lots and lots of stuff. So Gone with the Wind was very good. It was a very beautiful period piece, but it's so long, especially by today's standards of how long a movie should be. Um, and just the fact that you know how it ends makes the whole thing feel so much longer. So it's, it's, I haven't, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was just saying, I haven't seen Gone with the Wind. So it was one of those things where I've seen a, a numerous amounts of clips for it. And I'm not sure how much of heresy this is, but I don't really feel as though I'm missing all that much. It's, it's one that, that you should see cause you should see it. Cause it's Gone with the Wind. Cause it, you know, has Oscars 
Wazoo, and because it's, you know, adjusted for inflation, it's the highest grossing film of all time. But, yeah, it's it's one where it's definitely not a movie night with, with the couple and snuggle up on the couch and watch some Gone with the Wind. It is it is a marathon that you have to get through. Yeah, so, you have to block out a chunk of schedule to watch this. Um, all right, now moving on to what... Let's see. What this uh, Casablanca is next. That in 1943. Yes. So this was still when uh, the Oscars had upwards of 10 Best Picture nominees, and it didn't go. It's actually the last year. It this had is the 10. last year they had 10. Yeah. Um, and I love Casablanca. I think it's probably I know one of the you top. Do. I knew. <laughs> uh, one of the top five scripts ever. I think it's amazingly acted, and it's one of those few movies that. You have those high expectations going into it, even though it's a classic, and and they're they're met. Um, but yeah, I really, I really think that this movie is one of the few ones that come from that far back, and even you know work with the timeliness of of, of the period because it was made in 1943 and and is very heavily set in World War II, but it doesn't feel dated at all. So that's one of the few movies back from back in the 1940s that I can watch and really enjoy yeah i liked it a lot i mean it's it's casablanca so everything everything that's people say is good about it is true it's an excellent movie um because i've talked with john about casablanca before and i know that it is so high up on his pantheon of films um and it's not it it might make it into my top 100 um but it's of course it's a very very good film, um, an incredibly quotable script. You know, all these years later, so many of the lines in there—the usual suspects and the beginning of a beautiful friendship and the play it again, Sam. Even though that's not part of it, but still, you know, it's so much of the script. It feels like you've already heard. Yeah. On the Waterfront, which I have not seen, I must say, regrettably, but you have. I have. On the Waterfront, I really, really love this um, late high school, early college years. Um, and, you know, I thought Marlon Brando is the main guy in there. And I thought he did a great, great job in this. I really liked like the setup. Um, and I found out later that it was kind of written as a response to the crucible and where the crucible is, you know, this indictment of, you know, the red scare and jumping on the bandwagon on the waterfront is kind of in support of all of that. And the honor and integrity of ratting out those who are doing wrong. And so it's kind of like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable about how good this movie is now. Uh, that's un- that's unfortunate. <laughs> so it's a it's a shame that it's a really good movie. It's it's like it's like being glad like after you've seen um what we watch a million times in college after you've seen Birth of a Nation. Okay. Like after you've seen Birth of a Nation, like that was a really unenjoyable movie. I'm really glad about that. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to like suspend my personal morality to enjoy this movie. It's sort of like a Mel Gibson movie when you're mad at yourself for liking a Mel Gibson movie and you're like, oh, 
Yeah, like, oh, or like Roman Polanski when he makes a great movie and you're like, mm, this is uncomfortable. I wish this movie wasn't so good. Um, yeah, I, I understand. So now we're going to move on to Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, which and I haven't seen. Ben-Hur, I've seen a very long time ago. It was one of those things when I was a relatively young child in which my parents were like, sit down and watch this classic movie. And I was like, no, I want to watch cartoons. So it's very colored by by that but i remember liking it kind of in spite of my nine or ten year old self so i can't really go into too many details about ben-hur but i remember thinking charlton easton was kind of awesome <laughs> so there's that that's Thank pretty much what i take away from ben-hur uh all right next up is west side story um which i really enjoy john and i really hate <laughs> uh everything about west side story is entertaining to me it's I it's a musical that I liked anyway. Um, I think that that's you have to like the musical, and I don't like the musical, so I'm not gonna like a a, a filmed version of the musical. Fair fair enough, but I don't understand <laughs> why you don't like the musical. Well, I don't like. I think Romeo and Juliet's kind of a dumb story to begin with. I think it's more <laughs> you see two people see each other from across the room, and then they're like ten seconds later they're gonna run away <laughs> together. I don't like those kind of romances. It just seems kind of reckless and dumb. And then I thought that the... Yeah, but when the, you set it to music, it makes it all better. I don't think it does. <laughs> I don't think it does. Um, and I thought the the dance fighting was kind of ridiculous, and the story was... Dance fighting was fly. a little bit ridiculous. I, I agree with that. Um, and to have it turn so serious at the end um, with, you, you know, fighting and killing... You can't have that ridiculous of an acting and then still expect it to be serious. Like, they're still playing it like they're stay on stage, and it just doesn't translate to the screen at all. Um, I, I, what I really enjoy about it is the songs are placed differently than they were in the show, and all the m more fun, more entertaining songs, the like the Officer Crump Key and the America stuff, is all moved to the front of the movie instead of being sprinkled throughout so that all the more entertaining stuff is in Act 1, and then all the darker, serious stuff is in Act 2. Um, and I think you have to buy into the romance, and if you don't buy into the romance, the whole thing kind of is dumb. And I did, and you did, and that's why you like no, it, I don't like it. That's your own fault there. No, I'm not arguing that I'm right, I just was like, I'm annoyed with these people. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the very next year was Lawrence of Arabia, which is next up. Um... Which I put on my list as having seen. I kind of debated it a little bit because I uh, fell asleep for a brief period watching this movie, and I watched it. I watched it in class in high school, and because it's another one of those movies that is forever long, it took us a full week to watch this movie, <laughs> like an hour at a time or forty-five minutes at a time throughout class. So I I watched it very broken up. You know, I fell asleep for one half of one class period. So I kind of, I don't know if I can have the best authority on how good this movie is, but I didn't care for it that much. Um, and part it of seems it seems very it's, long. It's very long, and it's another one where it just keeps going. I remember, like, halfway through the uh, watching it, our teacher gave us a piece of paper that basically had the plot synopsis, something that like, would be a Wikipedia plot synopsis. And so I read it and was so stunned that we were only, like, halfway down this page. 
just because we'd seen so much movie, we had to be almost done with this movie. I think that, I don't know, maybe just old audiences were like, well, I'm going to pay my nickel to go see this <laughs> movie. I'm going to get my money's worth. And so they made them three and a half hours. And yeah. I just don't, maybe, I just don't have the attention span to do a three and a half hour movie unless it's really, unless I need three and a half hours to tell the story. And the problem with, you know, Gone with the Wind, and I haven't seen, you know, um, Lawrence. Lawrence of Arabia, but it seems like it. the stories did not constitute a three and a half hour runtime. I mean, it's one that I do at some point want to go back and watch in one sitting to see if it resonates differently and watch that when I'm not 16 years old because it might resonate differently with me now than it did. 16 years old sandwiched in between math and science class. No, it, that's not the best way to watch a movie because that's how I've seen several movies. Yeah. Except Spartacus. I saw Spartacus like eight times in, in high school, but I like Spartacus. What an, odd, what an odd thing to show. I saw Spartacus in a class in high school. Well, I mean, it was in Latin. So Okay. All right. Mine was in history, which is a little... It was like Latin teacher didn't want to teach. It's Spartacus Day. And we were like, yay, Spartacus Day. And we um, Spartacus. Um, but also, the other thing is Lawrence Arabia beat out To Kill a Mockingbird, which was nominated that same year. Which is like one of my all time, all time, all time favorites. Yeah. So that's 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 one of the biggest ones where I'm like, mm, that did, doesn't hold up throughout the years. Like the wrong movie one. Yeah. Okay. So now we're gonna move on to My Fair Lady, which I have seen. Have you seen? I've seen My Fair Lady. Yes. Okay. Good. This is one we can both talk about. Um, I really enjoy My Fair Lady. Um, I love Pygmalion, the the stage play in which it's based, is one of my favorite plays of all time. And I thought that the music translated really well to it. Um, and I've seen this several... I haven't seen it in several years, but I had seen it several times up until then. Um, and I loved My Fair Lady. I, I really love My Fair Lady. I think it's my favorite of, like, that era of musicals. Like, the, Would you would you count Singing in the Rain that era of musicals? Um, oh, maybe. Yeah. I, but I'll put this one above Singing in the Rain. I mean, it was still a good era for musicals. So I'm not, not, except for West Side Story, but I'm not going <laughs> to, so that's not a bad choice. But yeah, I really, I thought that this was a really well done musical because I thought it flowed really well and, and I thought that they adapted the stage play, you know, perfectly, which is not as easy as you would think it is. Most people, it's just like, oh, you just take the play and you put some songs to it and, um, what they changed, I thought, worked really well. Yeah. Um, I really like the songs in this one. And like you said about the pacing, like the ratio of entertaining song to important song to fast-paced song to slow-paced song was really well done. Like this is kind of a very high example of how to successfully structure when to put your musical numbers in a movie, I feel. Exactly. And now we have a musical on the next one. Yeah. Um, uh, with Sound of Music, which I've not seen, and that's regrettable, but... Um, very next year. Um, yeah, Sound of Music is kind of a standard. Like, I'm aware. How do you not watch Sound of Music? But it's one that I also... I, um, I saw for the first time in school, in middle school, in band class, um, and liked it fine. And then years later, I watched it again, and it turns out that... Um, We'd only watched part of it in band class. So it was this really bizarre thing. I was like watching a half an hour deleted scene right in the middle of it. Because because it was, since there were substitutes and it was on VHS. And so obviously Sound of Music is very long. It's on two VHS. And so the sub put in the first VHS and there was half an hour left when the class rang. So the next day we came, we had a different substitute who put in the second VHS without us having seen the last half hour of the first one. 
So it was this amazing experience of all these new songs and dancing and the little plots, idiosyncrasies that didn't fit now all of a sudden work really well together. And so it it was it really worked out well for me. Um But it's also it's another one that like it's just it's really well paced. The songs are cinema classics. Um it's the Rodgers and Hammerstein. I think it's their best. Um so I will personally say I like My Fair Lady more, but specifically Roger and Hammerstein, I think Sound of Music is their best. So Yeah. Um I, I'll take your word for it. It's fair. Uh, next up is um In the Heat of the Night, which was nineteen sixty seven. Um and that was the fortieth anniversary. I need to take a moment and talk about the that year, those Oscars is often held up as the greatest batch of nominations to ever come out. It was In the Heat of the Night, Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, and just like there, there have been books that have been written about these five specific, specific movies and how this, this year was the greatest one. And so all that in mind, it's interesting to me that in the heat of the night was the winner because of these other movies that were really well received at the time and have gone on to receive so much critical acclaim and long-term praise. Um, not to say in the heat of the night hasn't, I think it's a very good film. Um, and it also, it probably spoke volumes about the, you know, racial tensions and problems in the South at the time that, I never experienced firsthand and probably can't speak on with any sort of authority that someone, you know, picking a best picture winner in 1967 could have. Well, it seems like this was a year just browsing through the, the pictures that were nominated. And I haven't seen it in the heat of the night, but I've seen a couple of the other ones. It was very much about like a defining moment of that decade. Like the graduate had the sort of disaffected youth part of 1967 and the night had the, you know, um, <clears throat> had the, the the racial element and all these other things like they were very they were very cultural movies and so it was interest I thought that that was interesting that a they were so well received critically because those are the kind of movies that normally you don't really kind of realize their brilliance until several years after and then also that they were so commercially successful especially the graduate yeah <clears throat> um next up is Patton which is another one I think only I've seen um, and it's another one that I've seen, I saw in school, so I didn't realize it until we started talking out loud how many of these old classic movies I've only seen because some teacher didn't want to teach that day. Apparently my school's not as cool as, as Joel's was, so my apologies. <laughs> um, but so, obviously it's another one that is incredibly long, and I watched Split Up over several days because of... Um, watching it in school, but I still, I, I still really have to praise that opening scene, which everybody knows, which is just you know Patton standing in front of the flag, delivering this monologue, and it, it still, it's the most iconic part of the movie. It's unquestionably the best part for me. It's the most powerful, and so it's almost a shame that it opens up the movie because I get really, really invested and really fired up for this one scene, and then I got the rest of the movie to watch. Because <laughs> it, it has the feeling of that 
climactic feel at the end of a movie where, you know, rallying the troops. And so... But that it just kind of keeps going. <laughs> then there's more movie to watch. There's a lot more movie to watch. Um, but at the same time, it also really pulls me into the movie right away. So... I guess it's, you know, it's going to be bad. And it's another one that I contemplated leaving off the list because I just, I, I know that I didn't see it in the best circumstances. And, you know, whatever I say about my opinion on the movie, probably I can't say with enough authority to be confident. All right. So now we're going to move on to The Godfather, which we've both seen. No, I haven't seen Godfather. Uh, really? Really. I haven't seen Godfather. E. Well, I've seen Godfather 1 and 3, so I can't really, I mean, <laughs> which is really disappointing. Yeah. Um, so I need to see 2. Godfather but, was a thing where, like, I, I was so sure that in four years of film school, somebody would make me watch it, that I didn't want to watch it ahead of time, because I was like, I know I'll just have to watch it again, and nobody made me watch it. They made you watch Do the Right Thing eight times. I know, so... And the piano once, which is more <laughs> than enough, but... So it's um, like, I, I kind of am sitting out now being like, oh, I guess I should go back and watch that. But you should. I, it's, I mean, I mean, what am I, I going to say that hasn't been said before about The Godfather? I mean, it's probably one of the greatest movies of all time. I didn't, I mean, it's not in my personal top 50 or so, but that's not an in, <laughs> indictment on the actual movie. It's just sort of... How, you know, how your opinion my, falls. My, yeah, my personal taste. So um, now we're going to move on to... The Sting, which I have not seen. So Sting is really good. Um, and so it's it's kind of interesting that it won Best Picture because part of partially just because it's so entertaining and fun to watch, and it feels like a movie that you know in today's day and age where the independence and the heartfelts and the movies where the main character dies at the end are the guaranteed Oscar bait movies. This movie feels so much more mainstream and entertaining. It's about con men. Uh, it stars two b- very big stars at the time with uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, uh, who had just made uh, Butch, Butch Cassidy. Cassidy right before this. Yeah, And so I'm really pleased at one. Uh, it's one that I would you know, easily recommend to a lot of people. But it was cool that it won. All right, now um, one we've both seen, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which yep. um, I loved the second time I saw it, actually. The first time I saw it, I liked it, um, but for some whatever reason, I don't know what it was, but it didn't really resonate with me. Then the second time I saw it, I just absolutely love it, and I think it's one of the really great movies ever, um, and I think it's Jack Nicholson at best performance. It's It's a great movie that rests almost entirely on... Jack Nicholson and Nurse Ratchet and these two great performances and it was kind of the unstoppable force and immovable object movie before Dark Knight came along and threw a mask on it. But, but yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. If yeah, I, if I remember yeah, we have. So um, we won't go too much into it, but One Full of a Cuckoo's Nest is certainly one of the best picture winners that, that lives up to its name. Yeah. Very much. And now Annie Hall, which you've seen Annie Hall. I've seen Annie Hall. Yeah. Um, I think it's Woody Allen's second best movie, um, I would say. After Midnight? I would would actually say Midnight. Okay. um, It's it's his second best for me, too, although Sleeper is my number one. uh, Okay. Manhattan is third for me. But we can go into our Woody Allen. Yeah, we'll we'll have a Woody Allen 
whole thing. But I thought it was just, it was one of those movies that I was just taken away with how entertaining dialogue can be. Yeah. Um, and it was still Woody Allen being his neurotic little manhattan self, and um, Diane Keaton was fantastic in it, and she was kind of unlike any leading lady I'd ever seen, and especially people in the 1970s had seen before. Um, and it was just really, really great. Yeah, um, whether or not it's my personal favorite, it feels like the most Woody Allen of Woody Allen's movies, yeah. the mo- and it mostly it, it defines this guy who's had this incredibly vast career now and you know it can all kind of be summed up as to this is the kind of movie that he excels at it will always there'll always be a little bit of me that's bitter that it beat out star wars um uh, yeah i mean that was a good year too it, um, it was a very good year i think so, like going through and looking at the nominations throughout the 70s as much as the winners um is very impressive just like how good the movies were in the 70s movies were very good in the 70s and i think that um, and I think the movies in the seventies were a lot more accepted as great movies. You yeah. Know, like now there's very, there's a very distinct, less so I think probably in the last four or five years, but there's a, there's usually a distinct split between the good movies and the popular movies. And, yeah. Well, um, that's the thing is all these movies were big movies with big name actors and directors had studio funding. Um, you know, you look through and well, all the production companies and they're all, very big, very important production companies, and not independently made and later distributed. Well, not, all these, not a lot of these premiered Sundance. I think we can yeah. safely assume that. So um, now we're going to move on to... Gandhi is to? next, which Gandhi, I haven't seen. Which, this is one I've seen at school, so this was something that I saw. Um, and Gandhi is very long. <laughs> um wish Gandhi would have been condensed a little bit. Um, it was good. It was just, I mean, it covered all of Gandhi. Um, I think Sir Ben Kingsley is enough to see the movie in and of itself. He's fantastic. Um, and just being introduced to India and, and the culture surrounding that is, is really interesting. But it keeps going and going and going. And you're just kind of like, I wish they would have focused on fewer aspects of Gandhi's life because at the same time it felt long it also kind of felt a little bit rushed because they're trying to cover so many things because Gandhi did so many things in his life so I would have preferred a little bit shorter of a script but you know you can't deny how great an acting job it is so yeah it, it's it's worth seeing uh all right next up is Amadeus which um is a movie that like, in this day and age, I, I kind of knew almost nothing about it before watching it. Um, I knew it was an Oscar winner, but that was it. I had no idea what it was about. It's, um, but it's a really, really good movie. Um, it's interesting the way that it was told instead of, you know, it's about, um, what's his name? Mozart. Um, but he's not... Although he's like the primary subject of the movie, he's very much not the main character of the movie. And so it's just, it's really well told. It was, it was based on a play, and I think that's kind of obvious, but not in a bad sense by any means. It, so it's very much a character piece, and it's really well performed, and uh, great dialogue. So... And I've not seen it. So it's one that I kind of I feel deny. I feel is kind of believable because it doesn't have the long standing 
integrity that, you know, some of these other ones do that, Gone with the Wind and Casablanca, have had. Um, it's just, it's one of those Best Picture winners that feels like it's kind of faded with time. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's really good. Um, all right, now we're moving on to Platoon, which I have seen, and I'm not sure if you have. No, I haven't seen Platoon. Platoon is something I watched in college, just on a whim, on a Saturday night. I was just like, I'm going to watch Platoon. And um, I liked it. It was... It was right in the middle of when I was watching like four or five Vietnam War movies, so it was it just came right after the other. Other, but um, it was back when a relatively sane Charlie Sheen was was doing his thing, and um, I was more impressed with just the sheer amount of people it had in it because it had what's it had Lawrence Fishburne, it had John C. McGinley of Scrubs fame, it had uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe, it had Johnny Depp if I if I remember correctly. Um, it was just, it was it was a good movie, and and really did a good job of kind of highlighting the the horrific nature of of the Vietnam War. Problem I had is that I watched it relatively close to when I watched Apocalypse Now, which um, I would personally say is the better film, yeah. at least one that I thought illustrated the you know the perils of of Vietnam better. But I mean, Platoon's good. I recommend it. Certainly. Yeah, I'll I'll watch it someday. <laughs> um, all right, now we're really getting into where we've seen most of them because they're more recent movies. And so the Hang next on one I have seen, I've seen Driving Miss Daisy, which was also a movie I saw in in school in theater class because it was a, it was a play, I think, as well. Um, but I really like Driving Miss Daisy. Um, surprisingly enough, it's not the kind of movie I normally would enjoy, but um, it was Morgan Freeman's one of his best movies. Um, the dialogue is really strong and has a really interesting soundtrack. Um, and you really buy into the relationship between these two characters, which they're kind of an odd couple. And it, it took a lot of skill to pull off, but once it did, it really, really worked. Yeah. Uh, the next movie is uh, 1991 with The Silence of the Lambs, which I've seen John hasn't. Because um, I don't like scary movies, and I fully admit to that making me... <laughs> A sissy, but I don't like them. So, <laughs> oh, Silence of the Lambs is very, very good. Um, it it is one where, and it's nice that it's been it won because you know horror movies kind of as a genre don't get nominated for this, which you know there's I think there is some genre bias because horror is very easy to make, very cheap to make. So there's a lot of not good ones out there. But it's nice when one that's as good as this one exists, it does get nominated and wins. Uh, Silence of the Lambs has brilliant, brilliant acting in it, especially Anthony Hopkins, um, who won for Best Lead Actor, even though he's in this movie for like 20 minutes. Um, he's just such a amazing presence in the movie. Um, so yeah, even though it's scary i think you should watch it anyway because it's oh. it's that good it's good enough that it need, you need to make exceptions for it i will consider it uh, but it's also it was looking back in 1981 it wasn't a particularly strong year um i mean you'd be the beast and you it's an interesting year because it was it was the first time an animated movie got nominated as well but yeah i think that if you're gonna horror's gonna win it's probably gonna beat out animation you know just because there aren't yeah. a lot of movies. There aren't a lot of genres that get less respect than horror. But as far as the Oscars go, animation. Is animation. One of them, so yeah, especially so, especially way back when, I think Pixar's changed that a little bit. But yeah. 
uh, yeah. This is still when, you know, Disney wasn't incredibly respected yet. It was still just when they were coming back. It was back just, yeah, America. like just after Little Mermaid and uh, Rescuers Down Under. Come out so right they were this. just starting to come back. So next is 1983, which is Schindler's List, which we've both seen, yeah? Um, we both saw the first half of it. Okay. Um, in I've college. I, yeah. I never went back and watched the second half. It's not a, it's not a pleasant film. I would, I, I would think that you'd agree with me on that. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie that you should see. It's one of those movies like United 93 and, It is, um, it is the ultimate watch it cause you have to movie. Right. And then, you know, go watch some SpongeBob and have pizza and try to forget you watched it. Um, but it's really good. I don't think it felt exploitive in any way. Um, it's Liam Neeson being awesome. Um, it, it might be the best director Steven Spielberg is. Right, and I think that he kind of gets unfairly penned into this. He only makes popular movies, which I don't understand why it's a bad thing, but he doesn't get mentioned in the list of the best director of all time nearly as much as I think he should. Um, and I think that Schindler's List is one of those movies that really shows why he should be, just because of how, you know, intimate he can make such a... Because it's a movie with a really, really grand scale, but you never feel like it's an epic. Yeah. You know? So, you should see it if you have not. I'll, I'll go back someday. That was the thing, is I've, I watched the first half of it, and because, you know, we had to leave, I just... I haven't been able to bring myself to go back and finish it. It's such a... Like, it's a it's an emotionally draining film. And so, yes, it is. Um, but next up is... 1994, uh, Forrest Gump, which, um, 1994 kind of gets a lot of flack for awarding Forrest Gump when Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption both came out that year and are, by, you know, general population, considered to be two of the greatest movies of all time and both of them wildly better than Forrest Gump. Um, which I think I'll agree with, but... If we're just talking about Forrest Gump on its own merit, I think it was a very good movie. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of positive things to be said about Forrest Gump. I, I, I agree. Um, I, I have not seen Forrest Gump, actually, which is disappointing. But um, I can just argue what I've seen with Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. I'm not as big on those movies as everybody else seems to be, um, especially Pulp Fiction. I think it's, you know, my opinion on Tarantino, yeah. but it, it, I don't think it's as big a, you know, crime against humanity as some people seem to think it is. I think that if you're going to go with Forrest Gump, I don't think that that's a bad choice. And I don't think Pulp Fiction or Sawshank make a big enough case to make it one of the more egregious errors that the Academy's made. Okay. All right. Um, next is a movie I missed which is Braveheart. And Braveheart's a movie I saw a while ago, um, and so I, I don't remember too much about it, but I remember really enjoying it. There were a lot of kilts and swords <laughs> and emotional speeches. Um, it didn't really beat out a whole lot. Beat out Babe, beat out Apollo 13, and it beat out Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> so I forgot Babe was nominated. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how, yeah, so it, it's, I'm not sure if it would have won in other years, but yeah. it's still good. 
Um, all right, so then we come to 1997, which I think at this point onward, John has seen every single one. Yes. Is that right? I'm missing two. Um, so. But yeah, so we'll start with 97, which is Titanic, um, which is, you know, it's just very recently, depending on when you listen to this, it very recently came out to celebrate the 10th anniversary, or the 100th sure anniversary. Cel- not sure celebrate. To right. honor, to commemorate, yeah. <laughs> to, to acknowledge the 100th anniversary. Uh, I think the Titanic gets an unfair like amount of flag. I think that um, it's one of those movies that got so popular that people are just going to start poking holes in it. Yeah, I, um, it's very much one that is a victim of its own popularity. Which I think is a victim of its own quality at that point, because I do think it was a rather incredible movie. Yeah, especially considering what James Cameron did. In 1997, computers were just starting to really show what they could do, I would say. Um, And I don't understand why people kind of give it a bad rap. I thought that, yes, it's long, but um, I thought that, the love story kept me engaged. I thought that the sinking of the ship spoiler, the ship sinks, <laughs> but, um, I thought that the ship sinking was really epic and, and really tense. I thought Billy Zane was a bit much, but the, other than that, I, I really liked it. The, like, yeah, the visuals were amazing. The ship was expansive. It felt huge. Uh, and then, yeah, seeing it sink, it, you know, it never felt like this is where, you know, they have a dude in a Godzilla suit smashing the Legos. It felt like there was a giant ship sinking on the screen. Um, so it was really impressive. And it's, you know, um, it's not my words, but somebody pointed out why it was so good was because it was the greatest love story movie that year and the greatest disaster movie. So it basically appeals to everybody. Exactly. Um, now, next one is Shakespeare in Love, which is one of those years in which I, I don't understand the thought process of giving it to Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love is fine. It's it's an okay movie. Um, there's nothing really wrong with it, but it also came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan, which is probably the best war movie ever. Um and it's one of those where I can't get past it beating Saving Private Ryan. So that's always tinted my enjoyment of Shakespeare and love. But it it's Harvey Weinstein again showing that you do a historical British drama and you're going to win Oscars. And that's what he did and that's what happened. Well, so. it's, you know, a part of it is that it's it's one of the ones that are held up where it's it's a shame, but basically campaigning wins you an Oscar as much as quality it's filmmaking really. um for me personally i haven't seen saving private ryan but but i know it on reputation so much that i can see and get behind the you know the how did it not win this award um i really like shakespeare in love um and so and it's one of those things where the oscars always feels like such a heavy downbeaten we have to show you know the tragedy of the human condition and these heartfelt terrible things happen to good people movies that to see this movie where there's nice people who look pretty 
and have really small problems that are worked out through antics and shenanigans. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, to be able to stand and say that it was not as good, that it was better than Saving Private Ryan and that it deserved the statue, I can't do that by any stretch of the imagination. But I really liked that Shakespeare in Love one. So, not to say it deserved it. I'm not even going to pretend to try and take that stance. But I like Shakespeare in Love a lot. All right, well, now we're going to move on to 1999, which I would argue was one of the best years in movies ever. Um, oh, absolutely. So, it, it, but I actually think that this is a year that the best picture from 1999 is actually deserved. And it went to American Beauty, which is kind of a, I don't know, quintessential film about the imprisonment of suburbia, I guess, is my kind of uppity way of describing it. Um, but I, American Beauty is one of my top five movies of all time. Um, Kevin Spacey is amazing in it. I thought that the writing is fantastic. Um, the tension throughout the entire film was just palpable. I, I love this movie and I think that it absolutely deserved to win. Um, I mean, I have nothing really bad to say about American Beauty except for the bag shot, which took forever. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> which took forever. Right, I'll give you, I'll give you the bag <laughs> shot. But, you know, it's, it is one single shot in an entire movie and when you have, when I'm picking apart, this shot was not as good as that shot. Like, you obviously have a fantastic movie on your hands. Um, I won't say it was my personal choice for the best movie of the year, but it's one that if you're honoring a movie, it, it very much deserves honoring. Uh, we're going to take a break here because we've hit our time and uh, we still have the 2000s left. And since, you know, we've pretty much seen the bulk of those um, going into this past year, which I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about. Um <laughs> We're, we're going to take a break here. We're going to split this episode into two parts, and we will see you next week to talk about the Oscar-winning movies of the past decade. Then next week, we're going to be starting something new. Um, like we occasionally will bring in a guest host, uh, we're going to start trying to once a month talk about move away from movies and talk about television, since, like we watch a lot of movies, we watch a lot of television. And next week, we will be quote-unquote, dissecting the myth of the sophomore slump. Which uh, I seemingly buy into. This comes out of the recent season twos of shows like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, which, depending on when you listen to this, is only a couple episodes old. But um, Joel has been admonishing me over the past several weeks about how I hate every single season two that comes out. So we will be going into our theories on season twos of television shows. So those are the next two weeks here on matinee screening and uh we will see you then sounds good <laughs>